Thanks for joining our NFL live show. Last night, the Panthers opened week three by going 3-0 for the first time since 2015. And this was a physical one that cost the Panthers a few injuries. We also have an exciting game this Sunday, the Bucks against the Rams, with the Rams as underdogs in their own house, SoFi Stadium. Will Justin Fields shine on this Sunday's primetime game against the Niners, or will Aaron Rodgers dominate this one? And the NFL announced a wildcard playoff game on Monday night for the first time. Our NFL crew is here to preview week three of NFL, but first remember to hit that like button and subscribe. Hey everybody, welcome to the BetUS NFL Show. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by expert football handicappers, Las Vegas Chris on your left and Scott Kellen on your right. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can find Chris on Twitter at Las Vegas Chris. That's C-R-I-S. Scott at Sixth Sense NFL and me at MLandis18. This is our week three pick show. And guys, last night it was a costly win for the Panthers. We can bet that Scott's going to have more on those injuries on Tuesday's show. But Chris, fortunately for us, it wasn't. A, it was uh, not a costly Carolina win with my teaser like coming through. And you're under, never really in doubt. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I was pretty confident uh, in that under, uh, and it seemed like it was never in doubt uh, when you have uh, uh, a. A backup quarter like quarterback like that coming in, and he doesn't have weapons to use. Uh, it, it's going to be tough to put some points on the board, and there's not going to be any urgency on the other team to score. So uh, we did we did okay on that one. Yeah, off to a good start for the week, and today we're going to go ahead and break down the rest of the week three board right here at BetUS, where the game begins. And if you're joining us on YouTube. You know the drill. Go ahead and give us a thumbs up, subscribe, hit that bell icon for notifications whenever we go live. And before we kick things off, we've got one more thing to tell you. Make sure to sign up today at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 to claim your 125% sign-up bonus. And for more information, you can check out the link below this video. On that note, guys, let's get ready to break down week three. And right off the top, I want to note that we lost the beginning of our Tuesday show. And Chris, you had some good insight to share when it came to your results last week and how that affects your thought process moving forward. Yeah, I wish it was as fresh as it was on Tuesday, uh, but uh, I feel it's important because uh, uh, even though I lost very little last week, I lost a, a half a unit, I think. It was one of the worst weeks I've ever had, and it was uh, it was just one of those weeks that just nagged me all week long. I don't feel like I followed my own advice, and, and I, I put in some early week plays that uh, just tortured me all week long. And that causes a whole domino effect of processing. Well, okay, what are we going to do at the end of the week? Because potentially that can create self-doubt in your mind. And toward the Sundays, I, I, I found myself being a little gun shy. And I was basically a fish out of water the entire week and, and just very disappointed with myself. So I, I think it's just really important that people understand that you're not going to be perfect at this. I don't care how good you are. You're going to have your ups and downs. And, and, and while mentally it was one of the worst weeks I've ever had, uh, you know, profit loss, it wasn't. But it but the mental aspects make it just a horrible week. I just didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't follow my own advice. And it makes it hard to get back on track. So my strategy this week was to hurry up and wait 
and not get not dive into this week right away. So uh, just a little bit of insight that I hope benefits some people is if you if you feel off kilter, just take a break. Don't don't feel you need to rush in. It's OK to miss some stuff and, and just make sure you get your head back on straight before you're, you're putting games back in. Yeah, Scott, I thought I saw you might have something to add there. Yeah, you know, it's as the season gets going, especially if you start doing really well um, or worse, right? But it's easy to get off kilter, off center, like Chris said sometimes. And I find it helpful sometimes before you go into the season, you write down, hey, here's the 10 things I'm going to do or whatever that number is that I'm going to do every single week and look at those things every single week. Because when you start doing really well, it's easy to deviate from what got you to being very successful. And then all of a sudden you start doing some things you shouldn't be doing. You start losing a few games and the self doubt starts to creep in. So I think having those reminders always can kind of help keep you centered as well. So I, it, it's helpful for me. So just another suggestion as well. I, I agree with that also, but I think the vast majority of people don't, you know, don't want to organize in that sort of a fashion. So if you're disorganized and you're just, you know, betting, you know, here and there, and you don't want to overthink it. Sometimes you just know in your head, hey, oh man, I just threw that garbage in and I lost, or I, I, I just don't have the patience I should have. You can self-correct on the go and, and just, you know, give yourself a pause sometimes uh, when things aren't going your way. You, you know when it's happening in the back of your head. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great way to kick things off. In the long run, the process tends to mirror the result pretty closely. And to your point, Chris, the best in the world at this hit just north of 55% over time. So we'll give it our best shot to apply a good process as we start to dig into the week three board. And the first game going in rotation order on the early slate on Sunday, Arizona traveling to Jacksonville. The Cardinals currently laying seven and a half total at 52. And Scott, it might be the most enticing teaser board of the season. And that begins right off the bat with this one. Yeah, it's a uh, teaser buffet this week, I think, Matt. So, And I am going to use Arizona in a teaser here. I actually make the number just under six, so we don't necessarily have value from that standpoint you know, versus what the line is. But uh, from a matchup standpoint, I think this is really favorable for Arizona. They average 8.9 yards a pass. And again, we're only two games in, so these numbers don't necessarily mean a lot. I get that. Uh, but they're averaging 8.9 yards a pass. Jacksonville giving up 8.3. They average uh, only allowing five yards a pass. Jacksonville only gives or averages 5.4 yards a pass. Jacksonville has not created a turnover yet this year. Uh, that's not real helpful either. Um, and a couple other things that I track as the season goes on is something I call big pass plays. Those are pass plays of 20 yards or more. When you can move the ball down the field in chunks, it, it can help you from a scoring standpoint. And there's a dichotomy here. Arizona, top 10 in the league right now in big pass plays gained or generated. Uh, Jacksonville, bottom 10 in the league in pass, big pass plays allowed. Uh, same thing with success rate. Arizona, top 10. Jacksonville, bottom 10. So I think it's just a good matchup where Jack or Arizona should be able to move the ball through the air um, and create some uh, offense from that standpoint. And so I'm going to use them in a teaser. Uh, we'll get to the Cleveland game later on, which I'm going to tease them with, but I will use Arizona in a teaser. I'll slightly lean to the under in this game as well. I make the number 49, so we got a little value on the total as well. Yeah, and Chris, the Cardinals are getting a lot of love in teasers right now, and Scott outlined some valid reasons why that's the case. What do you make of this one? Yeah, you know, you mentioned the 9.6 yards passing. Jacksonville's giving up 8.8 .8 yards per pass. Uh, 
so like you mentioned, they should have their way. I, I like the Arizona Cleveland uh, teaser myself, and uh, we're not getting to Cleveland until much later, and that line's kind of sliding up a little bit. So anybody that likes Cleveland and is watching the show live uh, might want to take that uh, sooner than later because the sevens uh, are disappearing and becoming seven and a halves. But uh, this reminds me of the same situation last year that made me uncomfortable to bet, and that's the Arizona going all the way to the East Coast. Last year it was against the Jets, uh, and this year it's against Jacksonville where they're seven-point favorites. And uh, I, I did get away with it last year, but I don't want to try my luck again this year other than in a teaser. Uh, I think it's really asking a lot after the game they're coming off of uh, uh, for them not to be a little hungover uh, from that uh, experience because that was a wild game with Minnesota last week. And, uh, you just have to be hung over. You're traveling, you're going to a hot and sweaty place. And I, I just don't think you're going to get Arizona's A game, but I don't think you need Arizona's A game to, to win here. Uh, you know, Jacksonville just very well may be as bad as they look. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe because they had some potential going in, but the, Meyer doesn't seem to have the full support of the team and he seems kind of overwhelmed. And I don't think there's a method to his madness, so to speak. Uh, I, I think that that team has some trouble and th they've already spent uh, 70 minutes on the field on defense. So they're just getting, you know, gradually grinded down, grinded down, grinded down, and they're not all in full great shape yet. So I, I think that that's something that just wears down early in the year. And I, and I see Arizona being able to squeak this one by, but I don't want to be laying seven, seven and a half on this. Yeah, and I think you guys have covered this well, so I'll I'll be fairly quick here, but note that I'm on that same teaser with the Cardinals down to minus one and a half with the Browns minus one. And when the Cardinals have the ball, I think Kyler Murray is still going to be dynamic. You know, he's an MVP front runner right now, and he could very well look to be an MVP form against that Jags defense. Chris, I noted the Jaguars defense had been on the field for 78 minutes through two weeks. I might be wrong on that because that's really extreme, but either way, if we're talking 70 minutes plus, um, to your point, they might be yeah. exhausted before this game even kicks off. And when the Jags have the ball, no answers possibly for Chris, uh, excuse me, Chandler Jones and that Cardinals pass rush. We saw Minnesota exploit a vulnerable Arizona secondary last week, but I don't think the Jags have the tools to capitalize in the same fashion. So taking the clearly superior team to do a little more than win outright, again, that second leg more soon coming up with Cleveland. And Chris, I think you might approve of that teaser leg since it'll be a home team. So excited to get to that one. But coming up next, we've got an AFC South showdown to get to. Let's talk Colts traveling to Tennessee to play the Titans. Currently, the Titans laying five and a half. The total's 48. And Chris, you're looking at a side in this one. Yeah, I think that, you know, a look ahead line on this game was certainly south of three. Uh, Indy was the better team coming in. And obviously, we know they have their injury problems. This line has ballooned up to... Uh, five and a half, six, depending on where you're shopping your lines. And that's just really an overreaction. Now, let me just say, I fully expect uh, Wentz to not play. So, but when they do finally announce it, it's going to be shock to the world and that line will shoot up. So I, I like the indie side on this game, but I wouldn't play it now because you have very little to lose. Well, you should be able to catch the line if it went south 
at four and a half still. So, uh, but we very well may see a seven. We'll certainly see six, six and a half for sure uh, when they announce uh, Wentz out. So that's the way I would play this game right now. They're going to probably pull uh, uh, one of the guys, they're going to put one of the guys on the, the roster today or tomorrow. Uh, uh, Bruntley is his name, the guy that played for Green Bay. Oh, yeah, Brent uh, Hundley. Hundley. Yep. Brent, Brent Hundley, yeah. Uh, I'm going to butcher names. I told you at the beginning of the season, I'm going to butcher your name every show. So, I, I, <laughs> but uh, uh, he, so he has some, uh, he has five or six games under his belt, uh, subbing in for uh, Rogers uh, in the past. He, he wasn't that great, but at least he has some experience. And, and Eason looked like crap last week, but he got a chance to practice with the first team this week. And it's quite possible that Tennessee's in a position with their horrible defense to, to have to prepare for three quarterbacks here because they're talking about platooning the two other quarterbacks if Wentz doesn't go. So that's another uh, interesting thing uh, that comes into play on this game. Uh, there's a couple of other uh, trends which uh, are a little bit more uh, solid than trends in general, and that's you know 0-2 teams in week three facing 1-1 one one teams. Uh, it really favors that uh, winless team to uh, cover the spread. So that's just another helper there in addition to this line being off. Yeah, well, Scott, one thing Chris touched on was that Titans defense, uh, again, a, a matchup against, you know, possibly two quarterbacks playing for the Colts. And as beleaguered as the Titans defense has been, this one might not necessarily have the makings of a shootout. Yeah, I like the under here. This thing's been bet down. I make the number 47. It's at 48 right now. It looks like it just got hit a little while ago. So it's, 48 and kind of being uh, under, you know, minus 115 or so. So it may go to 47 and a half. Uh, I would want 48 or higher, I think, because again, I, I made the number 47. So we don't have a ton of value left, but I got a, a decent situation at place of the under. Both these teams, bottom 10 in the league in big pass play generation. So they're not moving the ball in big chunks right now. Uh, obviously, uh, I could see Indy wanting to try to run the ball. Tennessee had success last week running the ball. They may try to run the ball as well, eat some clock uh, as well. Um, and, you know, what's surprising, and by the way, I've got a couple great situations that play against Tennessee. So basically on Indianapolis to support what Chris said. Um, so I'm going to wait for this line to go up and I may take a shot with Indianapolis as well. All the problems that Indianapolis has had, these teams' defenses um, from a yards per play, yards per uh, pass and whatnot, and offensively, they're pretty close to each other, actually. Um, and, you know, it seems like Indy can't do anything right, but they're not that far off from where um, Tennessee's at. And obviously a replacement quarterback, maybe that gets worse. But it's not like Wentz was lighting up uh, anything anyway. So I'm not sure how much they're really losing. You know, maybe a point and a half for losing Wentz, but it's not like they had Phillip Rivers from last year or something. So I like the under here. Um, and if this line moves north like Chris thinks it will, I will probably take a shot with Indianapolis as well. Yeah, I hear you guys. I think this one's a pass for me. Oh, Chris, did you want to jump back in for a moment? Yeah, this probably this fits into something that you like with the uh, divisional teams uh, playing each other early in the season, uh, doesn't it? Well, for me, it's more later in the season. But to your point, though, Chris, you know, divisional games, um, and we'll get into that when it kind of picks up. Uh, I think it's after week six or starting week six. Um, but teams know each other, right? And this is on grass, so it's not on a fast track. Um, you know, these teams have played higher scoring games here in the past, but 
these offenses are not what we saw you know the last couple of years as as well. So uh, I think this can be a grinded out. They're going to run run a lot, uh, you know, and unless somebody gets down by a lot. And it'll just be a grinded out game. And and 48 is slightly above uh, what an average NFL game is right now. So, you know, we're we're getting a little fairly high total for a couple teams that are probably going to want to run the ball a fair amount. Yeah, and, and while I, I tipped my hand a moment ago, it's a pass for me, but I could only lean the way of the Colts, especially if and when this line touches seven, that might be enough to get in play. And with the total, uh, those under concepts make a lot of sense. But the way I see this game with the Colts, uh, Chris, you touched on it. Carson Wentz's status not looking good. I think the backup situation is looking downright ugly with the possibility of Jacob Eason and Brett Hundley splitting reps. And with the Titans, I think it's important to flag some questions that I and, and many other betters I respect still have around Mike Rabel's decision making. Last week, the end game process for Tennessee didn't really match that result. But to the Titans' credit, things did work out. They made a huge comeback and they overcame a blown call in overtime that should have ended the game on a safety. So there is, you know, I think credit due to the Titans for the way they responded after a shaky start to that game. I think this is a setting where the Titans could start to take control of the AFC South, but I can't really trust either team yet. So I'm going to go ahead and pass for now. I think that about covers this one. Let's move right along to a game that we're not going to be passing on. And that would be the, I had the Ravens at the Lions up next. I see a Washington Buffalo graphic on the board, but, uh, we don't have the graphic for the Ravens and Lions because it's currently off the board at BetUS. Certainly, uh, Lamar Jackson's status looming large, but I think we can break this one down, assuming he's going to be in. And before the uh, mispractice this week, it was Baltimore minus eight with a total of 50. So if we go off of that assumption, Chris, you're the resident Lions fan. What are you looking for in terms of Baltimore traveling to Detroit? Um, I, it's... Uh, what I did read one place, and it doesn't seem to be getting widespread attention, is uh, Lamar said that he dinged himself up with his front flip, uh, on Can you know, against Kansas City. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know why people do silly stuff like that. I mean, the repercussions of just the slightest thing going wrong uh, are just so, so important. So, uh, a silly way to ding himself up. It sounds like he's going to be okay and he's going to play, but it's off the board in a lot of places. This isn't a game that I have a lot of interest in. I know a lot of people want to tease it down. Uh, if I did, I kind of feel like Baltimore had their little mini Super Bowl, in-season Super Bowl, and celebrated hard after beating Kansas City. And they may just be a little flat for that game opening. So I might be looking toward uh, maybe Detroit first half. We've seen Detroit show up in the first half last week against Green Bay, uh, but I can't take Baltimore in this situation laying eight. I just think Detroit is too much of a backdoor cover threat. And uh, and, and, and honestly, it, it's just a goofy game for me. And I try to stay away from teams that I'm too close to unless I have some sort of metric support uh, from my model, which doesn't start till next week. The only other thing I'd like to say is uh, Sewell, who fit, who filled in for the injured uh, Decker, uh, he still hasn't allowed a sack since 2018. He's, he's kicking butt on that offensive line for the Lions. Don't forget, I, I mentioned the Lions offensive line is going to be something to contend with in uh, the years to come. 
Yeah, I think to follow up on your point about Jackson, I'm pretty sure that comment was in jest. I've heard that he had some some sort of stomach bug or something else that kept him out of practice. So I think that's why we haven't heard more about it, because okay. if that were a, a legitimate scenario of him hurting himself, that's probably the only thing we'd be hearing across the sports media landscape right now. Um, yeah, so I'm under the assumption that he's going to go. But Chris, one quick follow-up question from you before we get Scott's take on this game. Last week, I recall it being the letdown spot of all letdown spots for the Raiders. And they came through, and, and there was no letdown to be seen from them. So when we talk about this possibly being a letdown spot for Baltimore, I totally get the logic as to why. I mean, you could have seen their reaction on Sunday night when they won that game, and um, you could see them possibly being primed for a letdown. But that said, um, did we learn our lesson last week with Las Vegas in terms of reading into that narrative, or how do you determine when to really buy into it versus when it's probably just priced into the market? Well, I think you have an entirely different situation here, Matt, because in the Raiders situation, they knew they had to show up from from the kickoff. And uh, they were facing a team that looked really strong after coming off that Buffalo win. So this is an entirely different situation where you've got the good team going to the bad team. And, you know, there's a much higher likelihood of them going through the motions earlier and, and just trying to do what they need to do to get by. So that's the differences that I see in these two situations. Well, yeah, definitely a different dynamic. I might counter with the fact that the Ravens do tend to be a bully when they're coming up against an opponent that they could possibly push around a bit. Of course, with Dan Campbell, TBD, whether the Lions as lacking in talent as they might be, would, would be willing to get bullied themselves. So, Scott, all things considered, how do you look at this one? Well, no play for me right now. I'll, I'll give you evidence, Matt, why I, I think you could tease this um, and, and also why you might want to be worried about a teaser. So as you pointed out, Baltimore is a bully. We, we pointed this out in the preseason. Uh, last year, they beat bad teams like Houston by 17, Cincinnati by 24 and 35, Dallas by 17, Jacksonville by 26, the Giants by 14. Here comes Detroit. It's a very similar type team. You know, Baltimore, to a degree, is kind of like Nebraska, where, you know, in the old Nebraska teams, where they just run over you. And when they're up by 20, they just keep running the ball and they kind of can't help themselves and they'll just keep scoring. So I think against the inferior competition, they, they can do pretty well. But on the flip side of that, I was kind of amazed. Baltimore's defensive numbers are pretty similar to Detroit's defensive numbers. And Detroit's actually in the top 10. Now, maybe this is because they've been playing from behind, but they're actually in the top 10 for big pass plays, which Baltimore is as well. So, you know, when and, and that game Monday night, I was on a plane. I was kind of half seeing it, not seeing it. Um, but it did look like the at least the yards per play and the success rate was not that bad for Detroit in that game. Um, so Detroit's kind of sneaky here. And to Chris's point, they could backdoor this game. Um, and like I said, then you got the bowling sides for Baltimore. So it's no play for me. Um, take that information. And if it helps somebody on one side or the other, you know, roll with it. And hopefully maybe it helps someone make a play. Yeah, and I have gone ahead and teased the Ravens. I understand that nothing's necessarily a slam dunk here. But I have them at minus two tied to the Panthers from our Tuesday show. Uh, with Carolina coming through last night, that exposure on Baltimore for me remains intact. And one of the things I noticed about this game when I looked into it, Tyrell Williams looking like he'll be out again. Somehow he's a number one wide receiver for an NFL team in 2021. So that could speak volumes about the Lions passing game options. Uh, ultimately, it's largely a number grab for me with this teaser going down through those key numbers of seven and three. I know road teams aren't optimal, but neither are bad teams against that big bully in Baltimore at times. And it's also a short week for Detroit coming off a Monday night road game. 
a major coaching mismatch. So basically looking for the superior team to do a little more than win outright in this one. Chris, your Lions could still look pretty good and cover the spread, and the Ravens teaser still might come home. So that's the way I'm going to ride this one. I think that about does it for Baltimore-Detroit. We can move on to a game where we do have a full-screen graphic ready, and that would be Washington at Buffalo. The Bills laying 7.5 at even money, total 45.5. And, and Chris, you're in play on the side in this one. Yeah, I, it, I'm sounding like a broken record with Josh Allen, but uh... – you know, it keeps repeating itself. Uh, Allen couldn't complete 50% of his passes last week. He's sub 200 yards last week passing. Uh, sure, they had the blowout win, but that game was a lot closer and a, and a lot different than what the score indicated. Uh, Buffalo's defense is rated right there at the top, but they faced two absolutely inept offenses. Tua went out last week uh, right away. They didn't have Fuller. Uh, they had a couple of other dinged up people. It, it just wasn't uh, it, it wasn't Miami's day. And uh, I think it's uh, you're hearing from a lot of different people that people are starting to notice that Josh Allen is sputtering to start. So uh, is that going to weigh on his brain and, and, and cause added pressure? Have we seen him play a decent game, like a really strong game in front of fans? Uh, we haven't. So I, with with. Buffalo not firing on all cylinders offensively. Uh, I just feel like Washington can kind of keep this straight. I, I like Heineke. I, I've heard that the, the the that the entire team really supports Heineke and may actually play harder for him than Fitzgerald or Fitzpatrick. Uh, so I kind of like that also. And when I watched him against the Giants, he seems mobile. He seems competent, and uh, I, I really like the guy. As somebody that had. Uh, um, the total on that, I was kind of paying attention. So uh, he, he, he seems to have some effectiveness that I can appreciate. And uh, maybe Washington's defense can show up and kind of keep them in check. But I just think that they can keep this, this game within the seven and a half at this point. Yeah, and I can see uh, some reasons that you were leaning to the over as well, but the side is the play for you. And maybe it's a good thing the over is only a lean because, Scott, when it comes to the total, and you're kind of our total specialist here, you're leaning the other way. I lean a little under, but in, in some ways I'll defer to Chris because he's been spot on with Washington in that defense. Uh, but, I, you know, I make the number just under 44. Um, Chris pointed out, you know, the Buffalo's offense has not been good. Washington's offense is, actually has better numbers in Buffalo right now, which is very surprising. And, of course, the Buffalo defense has been very good, but, you know, we're two games in, so it's hard to say, uh, especially when you start to consider the level of competition. Um, but, you know, to try to support the under a little bit, both these teams are bottom 10 in the league in big pass plays. Um, and, and then also both teams are top 10 in, in providing pressure on, on the opposing quarterback. So uh, that kind of plays into Washington a little bit, I think, as well. This is a pretty big number for an offensive team like Buffalo that's really kind of struggling. I like Heineke, and I think, you know, Washington's protected pretty well from a quarterback standpoint, but when Fitzpa uh, Fitzmagic was back there, um, you know, he couldn't escape if there was pressure, where Heineke can, plus he can, you know, it, what might be an incompletion for Fitzpatrick uh, turns into maybe a scramble in a, in a five-yard run or something for Heineke. So um, I kind of like what I'm seeing out of him. You know, time will tell, but um, I would support Washington a little bit. No play for me. And I lean a little bit to the under in this game. But that, that under has been bet down, so I think the value has been kind of taken out of it. But I'll lean under. 
Yeah, I can't. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't comfortably bet this under, uh, knowing that uh, that with that Washington defense and the potential for you know a Buffalo uh, offensive uh, correction, that, that's just too scary for me. Yeah, that was my thought exactly, Chris. I was thinking when I look at this one, uh, the Washington defense, just how much worse are they than we all expected heading into the season? Chris, you were well ahead of the curve on that one, evidently. And when it comes to Buffalo, again, Allen's accuracy still a question. So some big questions about both sides here. With the total, I have heard uh, some whispers from a few sharp betters whose opinions I respect waiting to go in on the over, but depending on some wind in the forecast. So yeah. Uh, friendly reminder, it might be that time of year to start monitoring forecasts before betting totals. So I'm going to go ahead and lean Buffalo's way as a possible teaser leg. But because there are so many other good teaser options this week, ultimately this one's a pass for me. I think we can move right along to the next game on the board. New Orleans traveling to New England and currently the Patriots laying three at even money, total 42 and a half. And Scott, it sounds like the Saints have gotten some positive news on the injury front over the course of the week. Yeah, it looks like uh, Gardner Johnson, he's been practicing. Lattimore, I, th I think, is still a little bit of a question mark, but I think there's a chance he could go, which would be huge for them. Um, for me, I'm going to make it simple in this game, though, Matt. Um, I got no opinion on the game. I make the total about 42.5, just under 43. So it's kind of about where this thing's sitting anyway. Um, no opinion for me on it, um, especially with all the doubts for New Orleans. And it's... I'm really having a hard time reading New Orleans, you know, from week the week one result to last week. Um, so no play for me. And, you know, Chris has had a little bit better uh, read on New Orleans, I think, this year. I lost my last game, Scott. Jeez. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I just see the, I see this game is uh, they look so bad last week. You know, it wasn't uh, it's so unprepared. Maybe they were looking ahead to New England and maybe they were just too decimated. But as you mentioned, there's a, there's some players that are on track to play, which make a huge difference. And um, I, I hate to refer to some trends, but there, there are solid trends in this, you know, case where the favor of the Saints, uh, especially off of, of such a bad loss. Uh, so I, I definitely kind of lean the Saints uh, at the three. I think the, the three is, I think it's a little inflated because of how poorly the Saints did last week and the injury concerns, because I think normally this line would be about a one. Uh, so maybe one and a half. So you're getting added value if you can get the plus three. I'm going to leave this one off the table because both of these teams are technically more on the play on side of my thinking than the play against. So I'm not going to reach uh, for a play here. Yeah, same here for me. I think that on our Tuesday show, we discussed in some pretty good detail whether last week should be viewed as a reality check or a free pass for the Saints, given everything going on around the organization. So I'm looking for more clarity this week on who the Saints really are. And when it comes to the Patriots, their offense wasn't impressive in an easy win and cover last week against the Jets. But in their defense, that offense didn't need to really do anything. Once they scored their first touchdown, that game was pretty much sealed up for them. So I'm going to go ahead and have a small lean to the Patriots at the cheap minus three. Also a lean to the over here. I think this is a really low total, and typically that's reserved for elite defenses going up against bad offenses. And while we do have good defenses in this matchup, I think the total could be selling the offenses a little bit short. And while that's the case in New England, I think that uh, it's not going to be the case in the next game we're going to get to. But, Chris, it looked like you might have something to add for a moment here. 
Yeah, I think you're going to see this if if you do like the over. I think you're going to want to play that uh, sooner than later. I, I it, I've heard that uh, the over is going to get some support, and there are people that do like the over, but. I, you know, I don't know. The, I, I don't think either of these teams have gone over yet this year. And uh, I this could be a scratch them out type of game to me. I, I don't have any interest in the, in this over at all. So uh, but it, it should skate. I, I would lean toward the under. But what do I know? I'm not going to put my money on it. So but I do think that the, the total will uh, creep back up. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I'm not looking to necessarily get in play on this one. I do lean to the over, but I I doubt that I'll end up getting involved. So I think that can put a nice bow around New Orleans at New England. And let's move on to talk about perhaps the marquee game of the early window on Sunday. And that would be the Chargers traveling to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs in an AFC West showdown. Chiefs currently laying seven at even money, total at 54 and a half. And Scott, you're involved on a side in this one. Yeah, I like the Chargers here. A couple decent situations that uh, work in their favor. So uh, I'll take the plus seven. I think it's important to get the seven, uh, even at the minus 120. I don't know what to think of Kansas City. Uh, their offense is, is humming just like it has in all other years. They're, they're number two in success rate by the way I measure it. But defensively, and let's face it, they play Cleveland. They played Baltimore, so two good offenses. But They've allowed 7.6 yards of play and 9.4 yards of pass. Um, that's not good. And I know they didn't have Tyron Matthew and I think maybe Frank Clark in week one, but they certainly had those guys last week. And um, we didn't really see any changes. And, you know, Baltimore was able to move the ball on them. So uh, I think the Chargers have a, a chance to, to move the ball here. I actually made the total of 58 and a half. I'm not going over. I'd like to see it come down a little bit. Just I don't like to play that high of totals over. But uh, if it comes down a little bit more, maybe I will. Both these teams are in the top 10 in the league in big pass plays. Uh, Kansas City in the bottom 10 in terms of giving up big pass plays, so chunk plays. While the Chargers defense, they, they play those two safeties back um, and have kind of continued that with Staley there. And um, they're top 10 in the league in, in allowing fewest big pass plays. And remember last year, week two, which was the first game Herbert started, um, they lost that game 23-20 in L.A., but they just sat back and kind of just didn't allow Kansas City to get behind them for the most part. I think Kansas City may have had one big play in that game, but they just tried to keep everything in front of them. So, um, you know, both these teams very high on the success rate standpoint. So they're both moving the ball from that standpoint. But these two teams I have rated as the, the worst and second to worst team uh, as far as success rate on defense. So I think both teams can move the ball a little bit here, but getting seven points with some good situations in their favor. Um, I'm going to take a chance with the Chargers here to get the cover. Yeah, and Chris, when it comes to your outlook on this game, it sounds like there are some factors that would give you pause on both teams. Yeah, you know what? I, I, it's, I don't know how anybody could take the Kansas City side on this uh, minus seven. They're, they're one and 11 and one their last 13 games against the spread. They're always overvalued. They play to win, and they don't play to cover or to get separation, as we've noticed. Um, they're giving up 10 yards per play on passing. They're giving up six yards on the ground. How can you back a team that is a defensive sieve currently? They've got some problems you have to pay attention to. Now, they may steamroll the Chargers, uh, but it's just not a place you want to you want to have your money in and 
as far as the Chargers go, they concern me because they're having horrible early down success, and it's affecting uh, their ability to you know score as much as they did last year. And I don't know what's going on with the offensive coordinator, uh, but he seems to have Herbert a little bit out of sync. And until they get that corrected, it's kind of hard to sit there and, and take the Chargers with confidence uh, also. So uh, we've, we've seen some goofy things where just bad luck is happening to the Chargers still, even though the coaching coaches are all gone. They, they went into uh, uh, the last two minutes uh, in the first half with three timeouts and in, uh, and in uh, Dallas territory. And somehow they they walk into the locker room with two of their timeouts and, and don't get a field goal out of it. There's just goofy things. Oh, the, you know, every week there's bad plays going against uh, bad calls and and and, and t- touchdowns and turnovers that are just you know really goofy situations. So there's a strange energy with this game, and I'm just going to leave it alone for right now. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to end up leaving it alone as well. And as a Chargers fan, I try to remain as objective as I can and use what I watch to be more informative about betting decisions without too much clouding of the judgment going on. I'm really going to be keeping a close eye on that offense to see, to your point, Chris, if they can start to show more on early downs and also convert some of the yardage they've been gaining into more points. I mean, they've gone over 400 yards each of the first two weeks, haven't scored more than 20 points yet. And I think a lot of it might just come down to making better, simple decisions when they're down in or near the red zone. So a closely on the Chargers offense and defensively, it's looking like a bad week to be a little banged up. Joey Bosa, Justin Jones, Chris Harris all haven't practiced the last couple of days. So uh, I, I do still think that at the full seven, I lean that way with Scott. I'd probably go ahead and bet it if it were a flat minus 110. But for now, should be a really fun watch and learn. Again, looking like the marquee game of the early window on Sunday. Moving right along, let's get to the Falcons traveling to the Giants. We currently have the Giants favored by three points at even money, total at 47 and a half. And Chris, it looks like you have just a lean on the total in this one. You know what? No, I think I'm going. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm looking at that, but it, it's going to be a play, and uh, uh, I, I just see that uh, Atlanta is not able to get any pressure. Uh, I believe they're like last or second to last in the league in pressure on the quarterback. And if you look at Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones actually does pretty well when he's not pressured. Uh, he all of a sudden becomes the quarterback that everybody hopes that uh, uh, he become that they thought he was going to be. So uh, if Jones is able to not be pressured and able to get their offense going, which they should against this Atlanta defense that uh, is just horrendous, uh, I don't think the Giants are going to stop Atlanta either. So I, I just see... Uh, a, a lot of back and forth, a lot of back and forth. I, I'm favoring the uh, the Giants. I think the line will definitely go to two and a half. And when I see a two and a half, uh, I'm going to take a taste of the Giants. I think that they're the better team. I think they're the more desperate team. I think Atlanta kind of realizes this ain't this isn't going to be their year. And I, I think the Giants in that division still have hope. Uh, even though there's been some inner strife uh, on the team, uh, apparently Galladay and, and, and somebody else got into it. I don't know the details, but uh, at least that shows people are fired up a little bit. Uh, I, you know, they they played okay, they played well enough to win, but didn't quite get there. They couldn't. Uh, they, they, I think they can turn those field goals from Thursday into touchdowns uh, against Atlanta. 
Yeah, and Scott, while Chris is waiting to potentially get in play on the Giants, you might be waiting for a chance to get involved on the other side. Yeah, and Chris, I'm seeing there is a two and a half out there right now. If this goes to two and a half, I would probably use Atlanta in a teaser just to get them up to eight and a half. I, you know, I lean at plus three, uh, but for all the points you made, I mean, they can't stop anybody. They can't do anything on offense. So, you know, when you're only getting three points, it's a small window to play with there. So if I could use them in a teaser, I would certainly do that. And if it goes to two and a half, uh, like I'm starting to see now, uh, I would probably use them to, to get them up to eight and a half points. I got a lot of good systems on Atlanta here. It, it, it's so funny. Um, I don't think we would have ever thought we'd see this, but the Giants offense is better than Atlanta right now, which is just kind of blows your mind. Uh, and defensively, these these two teams are about equal right now uh, in terms of yards per play and whatnot. And, you know, who would have ever thought the, the Falcons would have I don't want to say as good a defense as the Giants because it's it's simply because the Giants defense has not been very good, kind of to Chris's point with maybe the total. But um, a lot of good situations here on Atlanta. So if I can use them in a teaser to get across a three and a seven, uh, I'll do that. And that's probably where I would use them if I if I use them at all. Yeah, and I'm going to lean to the Falcon side of things for now pretty strongly. I will say the Giants had a misleading final score last week. They deserve to win that game, and they do come into this one with extra rest, having played on Thursday night in week two. But their defense was expected to be a pretty big strength coming into the season, and I don't think it you know, had a great showing against Taylor Heineke. This is a step up in class, I think, to the Falcons' offense. After we finally saw more of what I was expecting from Arthur Smith, Last week, I think he unleashed some of the, the better plays and some of his better players in a more effective way against Tampa Bay. So if that continues, it's a pretty strong lean for me right now at Atlanta, plus three, minus 120. If we see a minus 115 or better, then I make it a play. So I'm ready to pull the trigger if the price trickles in that direction. But as you guys alluded to, I think it probably only goes in the other direction. And ultimately, the threes are gone altogether. That about wraps it up for Falcons at the Giants. So let's move on and talk about a pretty intriguing game here. Chicago taking on Cleveland. The Browns currently laying seven at minus 115, total 45 and a half. And guys, before we get to some of your handicapping points, we have a question from the chat asking, what do you think of Justin Field being named the starter? Does he have a chance to win against the Browns defense? Well, I was going to comment on Fields. Uh, my major concern with Fields is that in his first game where he played an entire half, he basically demonstrated that he's going to be a one-read type of quarterback, and then he's going to panic and he's going to run. He ran 11 times in one half, and he's not going to be able to get away with that. So he's got to control his happy feet, and he's got to find a way to do more than one read uh, for him to be successful, or he, he's going to get whomped, uh, especially against this defense. Yeah, and Chris, it sounds like that could play right into what you're looking at from the side here, looking at the Browns while those sevens are still available. Yeah, it, I, I like Cleveland minus the seven here. I, I just think that Chicago is going to be overmatched. Uh, Chicago doesn't have that same defense that they had a couple of years ago. It's just been going downhill since. And with, with I, I, this defense is going to be too strong uh, for, for Fields, for a rookie quarterback. You know, I think it's a good thing that he gets in there and gets some experience, but uh, it, it's just going to be a big, giant obstacle. I don't understand, and, and if they don't stop Chicago here, then I'm going to start to have some concerns because it was really odd how Cleveland defensively handled Houston last week. 
Uh, they, you know, you've got a backup quarterback in and you only blitzed them once. So, and you let these guys hang around longer than you should have. So, a uh, little strange thought, uh, in my opinion, on the d defensive coordinator not applying more pressure on a rookie quarterback. What are they going to do this year? I mean, this week. So, uh, just a few things, just a few thoughts that I had on the game. Yeah, and Scott, we touched earlier on the fact that we're both teasing the rounds down in this one. And how does the Justin Fields factor uh, work into the way you look at this game? Well, and, you know, to Chris's point last week, you know, Cleveland also shot themselves in the foot a couple times, too. And, you know, they've got to clean that up, too, because if they if they keep turning the ball over and whatnot, they're going to let everybody hang in the game. So they got to clean that up. Um, but I think Fields is an upgrade as a whole over Andy Dalton. But to Chris's point, um, you know, he, he, he can certainly throw the ball. He obviously can run with his legs. Uh, he's fine there. But he's got to be able to read the defense. And if he's, you know, bailing after the first read, then that is going to be problematic for him. And, I mean, look at these these numbers. Cleveland averaging 7.2 yards a play. Uh, the Bears 4.1. 9.5 yards a pass. Bears 4.3. I mean, these offenses are not even close at all. And Cleveland at least has a respectable defense now um, to kind of hold the Bears in check. I do like the teaser. And, you know, we pointed this out in the preseason when we reviewed the Bears. Bears last year, 7-2 and two straight up versus winning teams. They beat Cincinnati last week. Let's just put Cincinnati in the losing team bucket. That'll be determined as the season progresses. But 1-6 straight up against winning teams last year. Uh, and they lost to the Rams this year by 20 points. Um, and last year, on the road against good teams, they lost to the Rams by 14, Tennessee by 7, Green Bay by 16, New Orleans by 12 in the playoffs, 20 week one to the Rams. Cleveland fits that same mold of these teams. And, you know, to Chris's point, I, I, and I make the number eight and a half, so I think we got a little value with Cleveland as well. I'm going to use them in a teaser. I would have no problem at minus seven as well. Uh, and I think Cleveland wins this game fairly easily as long as they don't turn the ball over like they, they have been. What's the deal with Beckham? Is he going to be in? It sounds got... like it. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, I think he made the comment, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll see. Um, but I think he's been a full participant. And I was reading something the other day. It sounds like, he's going to be good to go. So we'll see, but I, I'm assuming he's playing. Yeah, Beckham's practicing fully. It might be the Browns, you know, being a pretty smart organization, not wanting to tip their hand. But if he's practicing fully, then it's probably a cat and mouse game to say anything other than he's looking like a go for a Sunday. And Scott, I like a lot of what you laid out covering some of my points for teasing the Browns in this one as well. Again, that's a second leg of a teaser with the Cardinals. And it was a bit of a toss up for me deciding between Cleveland and Buffalo. I've really come around on the Browns. Uh, ultimately dodging some of the concerns about Josh Allen's accuracy, as we touched on earlier. And the Browns had some injuries across the offensive line earlier in the week. Still a couple of question marks, but things seem to be trending in the right direction there. And looking at the Bears side of things with that dynamic of this being Justin Fields' first NFL start, he didn't look so ready last week, but I'm not blaming him for that. I think he brings tons of upside to the table. It might just take a little bit of time after Chicago had Andy Dalton primarily working with the starters up until this week. And, and Chris, as you just touched on with that question, while it's out with Landry, it's likely in with Beckham. So uh, with things moving in the right direction with some of those Browns injuries up front offensively, I'm looking once again at the superior team at home in this case to do a little more than win outright. I think we can move right along now to the next game on the board, and that would be Cincinnati traveling to Pittsburgh. The line currently Steelers minus three at minus 115 at BetUS, total 43. And Scott, you've got to lean on the side in this one. 
Yeah, I lean Cincinnati here, and this is another one. You know, if it goes to two and a half, I would consider them in a, a teaser. The problem with taking them at three, I think they're like one in 17 uh, straight up on the road their last 18 games. So, um, you know, it's just hard to trust them to win a game when they're getting only three points. I think the teaser would, would give me a, a little bit more confidence that they can come through for us. But the Cincinnati D, they're playing pretty well, and their defensive line has been pretty good right now. Um, and obviously we know about the the problems Pittsburgh has on the offensive line and just in offense in general. Um, so I like I like the Bengals here a little bit to put a little bit of pressure. I made the number two and a half. I make the number 40 and a half basically. Again, this is a low total. It's To me, it's just hard to go under these low totals in the NFL the way the NFL plays out today. But I like what Cincinnati's doing uh, from a defensive pressure standpoint uh, first couple of weeks in the season. I think that could provide some problems for Pittsburgh. So I think there's a little bit of value. Got a, a decent situation on Cincinnati as well. So um, if this goes to two and a half, I might consider them in a teaser. Yeah, and Chris, some big injury questions for the Steelers in this one. And it starts at the most important position in all of team sports. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have to worry about Ben. I, I touched on it earlier this week. He, he's, uh, you know, things are not harmonious uh, for this uh, one last season for him. Uh, he's got banged up ribs. They say his flexibility uh, for his throws are, are going to be greatly reduced. Not that he threw very far in the first place. But my concern are the uh, the injuries uh, that mounted up last week. You had two surprise uh, people that were ruled out right before game time last week, in addition to uh, a couple, they were already dinged up. So uh, this week it's trending up a little bit, but I think the market really kind of thinks Ben might not play a little bit. There's a little uh, kind of tepidness in the line so far. You know, if they announce Watt in, if they announce these other guys in and they're good to go, I think this line's going to shoot back up. Uh, I respect Cincinnati. They're they're healthy. And as I've mentioned in the past, when Cincinnati's healthy, you better respect them. They're, they're a darn decent team when healthy. They just don't have any depth. So they're only missing one quarterback, and they're good to go. So uh, I, I, I would think that I would lean toward the under. I would lean toward Pittsburgh. I think the Pittsburgh line will go up if Ben, if these guys are in. If not, it's going to go down, and I'm just staying away from the game. Yeah, same here, and I'll keep it pretty quick because you guys have covered it pretty well, but there are just too many unknowns with injuries galore for the Steelers, all three levels of their defense. We touched on Big Ben. Also, wide receiver Deontay Johnson was curiously injured on the last play of their Week 2 loss to the Raiders. So just too many question marks here. I think we have better places to invest our money. I'll go ahead and call a quick timeout here as that wraps up the early slate on Sunday and let you know if you're joining us on YouTube live on Friday morning, go ahead and give us a like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And on that note, let's keep things rolling right along and transition to the late window on Sunday. Miami traveling to Las Vegas. The Raiders currently laying a flat minus four, total at 44. And Chris, you're interested in the side in this one. I'm so interested in this side. I'm actually betting it as we speak. So we're, we're, we're <laughs> live on the action. Uh, this line is actually moving down as we speak. So if you have an interest in Miami, uh, uh, now is the time to bet it. There's three week three and a half showing up now. 
uh, in some places, but there's uh, fours available. I like Miami in this game. I think uh, the line's been way overcompensated. Uh, we get Fuller back in the lineup, uh, and uh, 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 this line should have been below a field goal. And I think that uh, it, it's just too much of an overcompensation. The Raiders are coming back from being on the west, on the east coast. They're two and zero. I think Miami's going to have their head straight on. Uh, and with Fuller back in the lineup, that's going to really help. Yeah, and Scott, it sounds like you see some reason to feel good about Miami's prospects in this one as well. Yeah, they're in some pretty good bounce-back situations. Teams that lose this spread by 25 or more, which Miami did last week, um, you know, going on the road here, they're the dog. So that puts them in a pretty good situation, situation that historically has performed pretty well. Miami came here last year laying two points in this game with a total of 50. I had the over in that game, had no business winning that total. That thing just blew up in the end, and and I think ended up 26-25, so barely got over. But um, obviously the total much slower this time around, and I make the total like 42 or so. Um, but I like Miami a little bit here as well. If this thing would go to six, then I don't know that it's going to go that high. Um, but I, I would definitely look to take Miami in that spot. You know, Vegas has been good, but do they deserve to be laying a whole bunch of points? Success rate on offense, they're about middle of the road, even though they've been, you know, pretty successful with the offense. Their defense has actually played very well, put pressure on teams, and they're going to get another offensive line in Miami that's not great, um, which I think could aid to the to, to the under in this game as well. Um, so I, I lean to the under, and I lean to Miami uh, in this game as well. Yeah, I had that game. Uh, that was a, a key decision for me last year uh, against the Raiders because instead of laying the points with Miami, I, I took the money line in that game and I was able to uh, come out with a, a victory, but uh, the Raiders did cover the spread in that game. So I, I, I was just happy with my decision in that case. Yeah, yeah, and I remember that one really well last year. I was with you on the over, Scott, and it might have been a nice post-Christmas present. I believe that was the day after Christmas, if I recall correctly. And there was even a key play where I think Ryan Fitzpatrick was having his face mask grabbed and almost threw it without knowing where the ball was going. And he chucked it deep down the field to get a big completion. Uh, just big plays erupted at the end of that one. It was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, Chris with a nice reenactment there. I had that photo saved. <laughs> It was, yeah, it was one of the best. Uh, so hopefully we can get similar entertainment value this Sunday. For now, I'm going to pass the game. I think the Raiders were extremely impressive last week with Gruden really maximizing his offensive personnel. Of course, with Tua being out with those fractured ribs, Carr looking like a go, but he might be limited. He also got rolled up on last Sunday. So some quarterback uncertainty. Uh, I, I could only look to Miami with you guys at the plus four, but I'm going to go ahead and pass because the Raiders have been really impressive through two weeks this season. Moving right along with the Sunday afternoon slate, the Jets traveling to Denver to take on the Broncos. Denver currently laying 10 and a half with a total of 41 and a half. And Chris, I see the notes here, classic numbers blind play. Well, yeah, it just seems like one of those games that just looks silly. Uh, you know, if you're able to get over 10 on this, you know, it just feels like something you just blindly play. You've got a team that starts off 2-0, They've been gone for the first two games of the season, which is a long time, and uh, they're they're feeling high. They're they're feeling good about themselves, and and boy, they they don't really have to, uh, uh, you know, really dig in deep to, uh, you know, against the Jets. The Jets uh, have not played well so far, 
And when teams come back from these long trips, you know, they've got all kinds of things to deal with, with the family and, and all kinds of issues of acclimation from the long, you know, from this stuff. And, but with that being said, I, I just, uh, I don't know what to make of both of these teams entirely. The, the, the Jets are just so banged up. Their their offensive line is just not good. They've got two people, uh, at least two people out. Uh, they've given up 10 sacks in two games, so it's going to be difficult for them to put points on the board. Uh, we've got a low total there at 41, and I, and I don't know what Scott's going to say, but that if this total is 41 and the New England Saints total is 42, one of these two games don't make <laughs> sense. So... Uh, I would lean under in this game. Uh, if you're playing Survivor, this is a, this is your best Survivor pick for the week for Denver. Uh, you may have a couple, of, one or two opportunities down the road, but this seems like a great Survivor pick. Uh, other than that, uh, I'm going to lay off this game. It just doesn't interest me that much. Yeah, Chris, I'll jump in with a quick follow-up to that last point because I know a lot of the audience loves your strategy when it comes to contests and Survivor pools. And I'm interested in hearing you mention Denver, because while this may be the best opportunity to bet them this season, you've also mentioned in other interviews that double-digit favorites are often a gift if you're in a survivor pool, because by staying away, you can let other people fall prey to some big upsets, and generally you like to stay away from favorites in this range. Yeah, and but, you know, contest strategy isn't something that you apply each and every week. Um, the, the, the issue is, can you get a a team off your board that is not what I call a smart bomb, so to speak. Uh, so I don't consider Denver a smart bomb team where it's sort of like, okay, I'm definitely going to be a heavy favorite to advance with this team later on. Uh, there's, there's too many unknowns. So in this kind of situation, you know, with, with, you know, it doesn't matter what the point spread is. You look at, well, can I get this non smart ball smart, uh, bomb team off my list and leave all the other really strong teams on my list. So it's not the same sort of situation, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well said. And I think that might be the most interesting analysis to this game because it's, it's going to be tough to fire a bet with, you know, the total and point spread at these extremes we're looking at. And Scott, I'd love to get your take because Chris touched on it. The Jets up front uh, could just be a really big factor once again this Sunday. Yeah, you know, from a total perspective, I made it 41 and a half. So we're right there. Um, I do have a little bit of value on Denver here, but I, I don't really have any interest in laying double digits. Uh, Chris hit on, I think the Jets are 31st and giving up sacks. I, I saw this this morning and um, I'm sure it's accurate, but Denver is 30th in the league in pressure rate. So they're not putting pressure on quarterbacks, which just kind of really surprises me. I need to look at that again, make sure I'm not missing something there. Um, but that was kind of surprising to me. Jets last in the league in success rate. I mean, it's just, it's hard to play the Jets. I will say this, this applies to three different teams this week. Week three, 0-2 uh, against the spread teams, going on the road, as long as they're not undefeated uh, as a road dog, they're 64-31-2. So these teams do seem to cover in this scenario specific to this week. Take that for what it's worth. It's been pretty pretty religiously profitable uh, year by year. So just be careful if you're laying Denver, just kind of knowing that's out there. But uh, like I said, I show a little bit of value on Denver. Last week, we had three double-digit favorites. I had value on all three of them. They went two and one. 
But again, I'm not at this point in the season looking forward to um, to lane double digits. And by the way, Bradley Chubb out, and they they also lost a linebacker last week. So, you know, we'll see how all that starts to impact Denver a little bit as well. Yeah, I similarly don't have any interest in laying double digits in this one. It's a pass for me because uh, I think with Denver favored by 10.5, with this low of a total, it's calling for an awfully high degree of dominance. And based on what we've seen from these two teams through two weeks, that does sound about right. So I think we can go ahead and tie a bow on the Jets at the Broncos. And let's get into perhaps the most fascinating matchup of the week, and that would be Tampa Bay traveling to L.A. to take on the Rams. The Bucks currently laying one at minus 120, the total 55 and a half. And Scott, you've already placed a bet in this one. How do you view it based on the current number we're looking at? Yeah, I took Tampa Bay at a pick uh, I think, on Monday. And obviously, now we're lane one. I've got value with Tampa Bay in this game. I am a little worried because, uh, you know, the value really comes from really my priors at the beginning of the year. But the numbers, you know, the Rams right now have a little bit better offensive and defensive numbers. Uh, but I got to trust those priors a little bit as well. So I am going with Tampa Bay in this. I make the number 55, but... Um, so it's right where the total is basically. And so I'm not going to play over. I think this look ahead, by the way, was 52 and a half um, before uh, last week's game started. And obviously it's jumped up about three points, really probably because of what Tampa did. And remember some of those points Tampa scored were defensive scores as well. But um, both these teams top 10 and fewest sacks allowed. So they're going to protect the quarterback. Uh, Tampa Bay is a top team in uh, big pass plays. So they lead the league and, and throws down the field. Um, they're also 30th worst in giving up big pass plays, So they're probably going to give some of that up to the Rams as well. And both teams are top six in, in the league in success rate. So it does scream offense uh, in this game a little bit. And we know, and we've talked about the Rams defense is probably going to slide back a little bit this year. We've seen a little bit of that, but, uh, you know, based on my numbers, the total is kind of where it's at. I am going to take Tampa, um, a little worried about that. They, they're a little banged up as well. So a little worried about that as well, but I'm on Tampa. Um, I took him at pick him at minus one. You know, I would take him as well. Uh, it's not a best bet here uh, just because I'm a little worried about the matchup, but I am on Tampa. Yeah, and, and Chris, Scott touched on some reasons why this one might be a shootout, and the total seems to reflect it, but we could see a lot of passing come Sunday at SoFi Stadium. Well, you know, he, he, we haven't seen Stafford really go to work. He's only thrown the ball 56 times this season. Brady threw it uh, 45 times in one game. So it's going to be interesting because you're not going to be able to run on Tampa Bay. Uh, most teams don't. Uh, last year, uh, the Rams uh, the, the Rams showed how to beat Tampa Bay last year, and that was pass, pass, pass. The Rams came into that game traditionally, you know, running the ball in early downs, and they changed their strategy to – more than 70% of the time against the the, uh, the Buccaneers passing an early down. So that's what's different here. You, you just can't, you can't be stubborn and try to run the ball if you're not going to get anywhere. And, and it's a bottleneck there. So, uh, and I think it's safe to say Tampa Bay can throw the ball on the Rams also. So it, it's going to be a very interesting game. And without my metrics in play, as much as I'd like to play this, I'm going to sit this one out and I'm going to watch it. I, I, I can make a case for both sides. There, there's some, some trends that uh, are pretty good that favor the Rams. I, and I just, I just keep going back and forth. So I, I'm going to sit down on this one. 
Yeah, I'll go ahead and get in play uh, aligned with Scott on the Bucks here. And I will make it a bet for this show, the Bucks minus one. I think it starts with their offense playing great. And it still hasn't necessarily peaked because we could see a lot more explosive plays from that offense than we've seen through two weeks. Of course, Scott, you touched on some injuries and some pieces that will be missing. Antonio Brown on the COVID list. That said, if one team in the league can afford to lose a wide receiver against a defense featuring Jalen Ramsey, it's probably Tampa Bay. And Aaron Donald's also a beast up front for the Rams, but the Bucks have some strong interior offensive line protection, and that's about the best you could ask for to possibly contain Donald. Uh, I also expect the Rams' defense to possibly start showing some regression in this one. In our NFC West preview, we touched on them losing some key players and coaches from last year's elite defense. And I heard pro better Rob Pozzola mentioned the Rams' defense only ranks 18th in success rate through two weeks, and that came against Andy Dalton and Carson Wentz. So we're looking at a big step up in class here. Um, of course, I see plenty to like about the Rams and what they've shown through two weeks. So um, not my biggest bet of the week, but I, I do like Tampa Bay. It's not always as simple as picking the winner, of course, when we're looking at point spreads being part of the equation. But in this case, with a spread of one and a really high total at 55 and a half, it's darn close to just picking the winner. And I do like Tampa Bay to prevail. But however it shakes out, can't wait to watch this one on Sunday. Yeah, we just can't trust this Rams defense yet. Uh, it just makes it too hard. They play Chicago and Indianapolis. I mean, those aren't juggernaut offenses. So it, there's just too many unknowns, quite frankly, here for me. Yeah, fair enough. Although that, that unknown with Rams defense could favor Tampa Bay. But uh, the beauty of it is there is plenty of market resistance on the, uh, on the Bucks when the number gets too high. So it'll be a fun one at SoFi on Sunday. And we have another fun one in store that could be a shootout Sunday in Minnesota. So let's talk about Seattle traveling there to play the Vikings. Seattle currently laying one at minus 120. This total also pretty high up at 55. And Scott, you've got to lean on the road team in this one. Yeah, I like Seattle in this one. Um, you know, from a value standpoint, the number's about right. Uh, you know, some people are going to say, hey, Vikings are coming home. They just lost two games on the road. They need to win this game. Uh, and that's definitely true. Uh, but I can tell you um, when teams come home um, and have just lost two games on the road, there's a few other parameters in there. Uh, they actually don't do very well. And specific to week three, they're again with these other parameters, they're only 10 and 22. So to say that the Vikings need this game, that isn't necessarily going to happen because history has shown that that hasn't necessarily happened. Um, but I, I like Seattle in this game. Offensively, right now, their numbers are much better than Minnesota's. Uh, defensively, they're better than Minnesota's. Minnesota's in the bottom 10 in allowing big pass plays right now. And Seattle's in the top 10 in defending big pass plays as much as, you know, we don't exactly know what we have with Seattle's defense. But, um, and, you know, Seattle's top 10 in, in success rate right now. Minnesota, bottom 10 uh, in success rate offensively. Minnesota just hasn't really gotten going. And their defense, to a degree, has not really showed up. They've had some injuries, but we thought their defense was going to be vastly improved over last year because they were getting these guys back. But we haven't really seen that either. Um, so I like Seattle in this game, the situations there uh, in their favor. And just what we've seen right now uh, from both sides, on, from, the, from an offensive and defensive line standpoint, I think Seattle has a little bit of an advantage. I do make the number only 50 and a half in this game as well. So a little lean to the under, but it's indoors on a fast track. So I don't know if I want to get involved in that, but a slight lean to the under as well. Yeah, well, it sounds like you have a pretty strong lean on Seattle there. And I'll bring in a question from the chat that could help inform that. 
uh, asking if Kirk Cousins is actually the bright spot for the Vikings after the rough start. So, Scott, when you look at uh, leaning Seattle's way here, uh, how much of that pertains to what we've seen from Cousins and the Vikings offense through two weeks? He's, you know, I, I've been kicked quick to uh, criticize him, but he's been okay, I think. Uh, you know, he's brought him back the last two weeks in those games. Last week, they just they could have kicked a field goal or an extra point. Uh, you know, they, they probably win that game, obviously. So I don't think he's been awful for him. Um, so, I, you know, the, I don't think a lot of the blame is on him right now as it, you know, has been in other years. But, um, uh, you know, he it's, it's more really, first of all, their offensive line is still not very good. And, you know, defensively, they just not have improved enough to really get over the hump with this team as well. Yeah, and Chris, uh, this could be a really big spot for the Vikings. They could easily be 2-0, but coming in 0-2, it's looking like it might be getting close to do-or-die time. It's the missed kick bowl game. Both teams last last week had missed kicks decide their game. So uh, I'm, I'm worrying about uh, about Delvin Cook. You know, is he, you know how injured is this guy? Because if he isn't close to 100%. That's going to be a problem. They have real problems uh, when he's not the distraction uh, for Minnesota. And the, the pressure's really starting to hit because the defense, which was supposed to be Zimmer's specialty, is, is not showing up. And if they go to 0-3 here, we're going to find out real f fast how he can handle the pressure because he's going to be on the hot seat. I think the, the the expectations of this team were very high and they better come with come with all they have. Now, there's very few teams in the NFL that have a true home field advantage and Minnesota is one of those teams and the crowd can be a help. So I, I think Seattle's the a little bit of a better team and they deserve to be favored by one or two, but I'm not going to bite on it. I, I just think it's an interesting game. Uh, I'll reference, I don't have my metrics yet uh, to support either side. And, uh, you know, referencing what Scott mentioned earlier with the with the, the key 0-2 trend facing a team that has a victory under their belt, uh, that favors uh, Minnesota quite heavily. It, it, there's just too much conflict to get involved. There's uh, other games that are better for, for my investments this week. Yeah, and when I look at this one, I see that the Seahawks defense was on the field for about 43 minutes and more than 80 snaps last week, now traveling multiple time zones, so they could show some fatigue. Of course, the Vikings defense, we were looking for a lot of improvement this season, haven't seen it yet, and they've dealt with a rash of injuries. So this one, I know, Scott, you make this number a little bit lower than the current total implies, but it could be a bit of a shootout. And with all the uncertainty on both defenses, I'm going to go ahead and pass this one as well. On you know, what I think it's kind of odd about the situation is you have back-to-back -back weeks where they're facing a mobile quarterback. So, are you know, does that give the advantage to Seattle on how to exploit Minnesota, or is it the other way around where Minnesota is able to prepare better now after having played one the previous week? So that's an interesting storyline to watch. I'll, I'll just throw out there too. I mean, they, these two teams, uh, I'd have to look it up. So I might get this slightly wrong, but they played each other a fair amount of times the last few years. I think it's been mostly in Seattle. Vikings have been fairly competitive last year. I think it might've been 27, 26, I think possibly. Yes. So, yeah. you know, they, they, they played close games. Uh, you know, Minnesota is not outmatched against this team. Uh, there's no question about that. So now they get them in their home stadium where, like you said, Chris, they have a little bit of an advantage here. 
Five games in a row, Seattle's beaten Minnesota. Yeah, but I think they've all been fairly close, I think, right? Maybe there was one that wasn't, but... Uh, well, the, uh, yeah, it was a one-point game, seven-point game, uh, a blowout, one-point game, blowout. Okay. Yeah, well, I think on that note, we can go ahead and move on to another matchup of teams familiar with each other over the years, pitting the NFC North against the NFC West. So let's move on to primetime Sunday night football Packers at the 49ers. Yet another Aaron Rodgers revenge game in San Francisco. The Niners currently laying three at minus 115, total sitting at 50. And Chris, I think you and I are seeing eye to eye on this total. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. I, I don't think either team can stop the other team here. And uh, uh, that's what the issue is with me here. Uh, when this line was above, uh, this line was at four at one point, and I should have pulled the trigger on it. And, and I think all the three and a halves are gone. Uh, I still favor the Green Bay side here. I think uh, there's a lot of issues with San Francisco still. They're not uh, as healthy as they need to be. But neither of these teams are going to stop the other team. And, you know, that's the bottom line. Both of their secondaries have problems. And both, and, you know, Kittle runs roughshod over them every time. And you've got a healthy Garoppolo. Uh, in years past, uh, you didn't have healthy Garoppolo or you were missing Kittle. And, you know, the, the offense is, is reasonably healthy, even though they've got a running back situation. Green Bay's defense does not look good at all. And we know Green Bay can score and, and exploit that secondary issue with San Francisco. So the only the only thing that I can make out of this is the over 50 with a small lean for the, toward Green Bay. Yeah, and I'm with you there when it comes to the total. We've seen Kyle Shanahan against this Green Bay defense before. That's been a goldmine for the 49ers. And on the other side of the ball this time around, the Niners defense not generating a lot of pressure through two games. And they're shorthanded in the secondary, as you touched on, Chris. So if they're not getting pressure on Rodgers, they could really get carved up here. I'm expecting a shootout Sunday night in Santa Clara. No shortage of entertainment value in this one. And I think that goes along with a little bit of betting value on the over. And that said, Scott, I know you touched on a previous show that you had the Niners pegged as an under team. But with the matchups in play in this one, what's your verdict on the total with Chris and I both going over the 50? Yeah, I support it. I, I'm just looking. I make the number 49.8. So, you know, you're right there. And, and uh, you know, I'm not playing it, I don't think, um, just because it seems to be about right. But to your point, the matchup style and how this game probably plays out is probably going to lead to more points. Uh, 49ers secondary banged up. Rodgers should be able to take advantage of that. Packers have just never really had success stopping the 49ers. You know, last year, they the Green Bay went in there and won that game. I actually had the under in that game and it got burned at the very end. The Packers blew them out, you know, because the 49ers were so decimated. So throw that game out. It doesn't matter. I think both these teams will be able to score. I grabbed Green Bay at plus four before they played Monday solely. I, I, there's some value in the line for me with Green Bay, but I took it solely because I figured Green Bay would play very well against Detroit and then the line would come down. It happened, but. You know, I'm going to stick with my plus four, but Green Bay did not, to Chris's point, they did not look great, I didn't think, against Detroit in some ways. That defense, uh, it doesn't look like it can stop anybody. Zadarius Smith out for a few weeks. Um, I've seen him multiple different places. They either have no sacks this year. I looked at the box score, maybe one sack last week. So, you know, I'm they not sure which. Yeah, so they've, they've got generated one sack um, all year. And 
I think you pointed it out, Matt, the 49ers aren't really generating pressure either. So I could easily see this thing going over. I'm going to sit with my plus four, um, you know, plus three is still probably not bad with Green Bay uh, as well. And I'll just have to hope. I am a Packer fan. I went I went against them in the NFC Championship game because I knew there was no way they were going to be able to stop San Francisco. And I just kind of see that playing out all the time as well. Uh, so I worry about that a little bit. And But that, you know, feeds into your guys' over, I think, as well. Yeah, sounds like we've got some good leans the Packers' way and a consensus play for me and Chris on the total going over the 50 on Sunday night. Moving on to the Monday night game, wrapping up week three with a nice NFC East matchup. The Eagles traveling to Dallas. Currently, the Eagles plus four uh, with minus 120, so you can get even money laying the points with the Cowboys. Total sitting at 52. And Scott, you see some similar offensive numbers for these teams when we look at a lot of the metrics. So it might not be as big of a gap as this point spread would indicate right off the bat. Yeah, it's it's a little shocking. I think if you went out and asked 10 people on the street whose offense is better, they'd say Dallas. And, you know, at the end of the year, they're probably going to be right with Dallas. But right now, Philly's numbers offensively are not bad, and they're kind of similar to what Dallas has. And their defensive numbers are much better than Dallas. So um, I, I made the, the line five and a half in this. So um, there's actually some some support there with Dallas. And, again, that's based on some priors as well. Um, so, you know, the, the regular season hasn't really been factored into that line as much for me. Uh, if this line went to six, though, I would probably take a look at Philly. Um, Dallas just looking here, second worst in the league in defending big pass plays. Um, Philly is best in the league in defending big pass plays. So, you know, that, that could play well for them against a team like Dallas. Amari Cooper, a little banged up, so we'll see what happens with him as well. That would not help them. They've already lost Gallup, remember. Um, so if he doesn't play, that could be detrimental to him as well. I lean Philly here. Uh, and again, I don't know that this is, I'm just looking at the line here. Uh, I don't know that this thing's going to get even close to five or six, but uh, I would take that if I could get it, but I don't think we're ever going to see that. Yeah, I think you're living in fantasy land on that one. Uh, <laughs> it's actually touching three now. So... Uh, it, it's moved, it's it's all lit up in red as we speak. Uh, it's a, a very very weak three and a half uh, currently, and when you look at this divisional matchup in general, you pretty much are supposed to just take any line that's over three. You take the three and the hook on on the team uh, because these are close fought fought games. I lean toward uh, the Dallas side for. I, I don't know. I, I can't really support it. I don't know what it is. I'm just not a believer in Philadelphia. They, they've, they, the, their stats are going to be out of whack for a little while because of that first game against Atlanta where they didn't show up. And they weren't really close in the San Francisco game. And San Francisco's defense was exploitable, and, and they weren't able to do so. So... I, I just think Dallas is the better team, even though they were gifted uh, last week's game against the Chargers and probably should have played better and didn't deserve that win. I still think uh, they have enough. It, I, I'll be interested in this game when it solidifies down to the solid three. I don't really want to lay more than three in this game, but uh, uh, I, Dallas minus three looks pretty good on my end. Yeah, well, Chris, this could be a case where if you get that minus three, you and I won't necessarily be going head to head, even though I'm in on Philadelphia here, because I was able to get the plus four at a flat minus 110. I know with some of the money trickling in, uh, currently that bet US line was plus four minus 120. 
I would have preferred, you know, at that point, a, a cheap plus three and a half that might have been available elsewhere. Uh, but that said, being in on the Eagles plus the four, I think last week it was very possible for the Eagles to have won and the Cowboys to have lost. And had that happened, we'd be looking at a 2-0 Eagles team taking on an 0-2 Cowboys team. I think the line would be on the other side of three if that were the case. Again, I don't want to uh, play that up too much because in reality, the Eagles lost and the Cowboys won. But I think if we look at how those games played out, it's possible to have gotten to that conclusion. Uh, so I see some line value here. And again, last week, I'll take that head-to-head -head win over Scott with that San Francisco minus three in Philadelphia. But that game definitely could have gone the other way, if not for a pivotal sequence at the end of the first half. And when it comes to the Cowboys last week, I think the refs and Greg Zerline bailed out Mike McCarthy. So seeing some value on Philly here. But I think it's important when they're looking at any bet, uh, not just assuming it's a slam dunk, but why it might lose. And, and this one absolutely could lose. I mean, the Eagles have some injuries on the offensive line and the defensive line. And the Cowboys were impressive last week in the trenches. I don't want to dismiss that. Zach Martin being back was a big boost to the offensive line. Micah Parton's rushing the passer on defense, also a big boost for Dallas. And Dak Prescott looks really impressive. He's answered any health questions really positively through two weeks. Tony Pollard has also really stood out for the Cowboys. I think it's probably just a matter of time until he's their primary running back. So again, this one, not a slam dunk. It's not my biggest bet of the week. The Cowboys may well win and cover, but I see some line value based on some reaction to last week's results. Ultimately, I see this as being closer to a coin flip game. And if I'm catching more than a field goal, I'm happy to take the points with the Eagles. It sounds so silly to to the average person that one little measly point makes such a big difference because I I look at Matt's bet and I say that's a good bet and he looks at my bet and he says well yeah there, I don't see a problem with his bet you know a lot of these games are a half a point or a point make all the difference and I know it sounds silly but that's just the way it is and hopefully you know throughout the course of the year we're able to explain that more along the way yeah Scott I know you had something to add as well. Yeah, I I don't know that Philly. I, I forget the exact comment you made uh, where San Francisco kind of deserved to win and 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 beat Philly pretty bad last week. In some ways, I agree with you because the second half was all San Francisco, and I don't know if the injuries to to Brooks and Graham played into that, or if San Francisco was just the better team, which you might be 100% right on. But to Matt's point too, if Philly can execute it all, and look, this is part of being a good team—you execute or you don't execute. Uh, but I think they would have put San Francisco away in that first half uh, had they made the field goal and scored, uh, you know, with, with inside the five-yard line where they went forward and fourth down and didn't get there. That game was almost put away for San Francisco. So, but to your point, second half they they kind of dominated that game. So um, I'm not sure what to say on that. We're going to learn more in the next couple of weeks with Philly, obviously, and you know we'll see who was more right or more wrong in that. Yeah, plenty of intrigue on Monday Night Football to wrap up week three in Dallas. And on that note, I think it'll also just about do it for us here today. Thank you for tuning in to the BetUS NFL show. For those of you watching us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. And if you have any thoughts or questions, let us know in the comments of this video. If you're listening to this in podcast form, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. You can find Chris at Las Vegas Chris, Scott at Sixth Sense NFL and myself at mlandis18. Last but not least, everybody, don't forget to use the promo code NFL2021 when signing up at BetUS to claim your 125% sign-up bonus. And that'll do it for us. Enjoy week three. Best of luck with your action this weekend. And we'll be back with you live on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific, to review the action and preview week four. 
So we'll see you then right back here at BetUS where the game begins.